Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Tom Brand, sitting in for Mike Adams today. Pleasure to be along with you again, and thanks to Mike for letting me sit in and guest host here while he's taking a few days of vacation. Mike will be back with you on Thursday, wrapping up the year, and then again on Friday, kicking off the new year. On today's lineup, we're doing a little bit of a tour of Missouri and Illinois agriculture today, visiting with Missouri's Director of Agriculture, Chris Chin, as well as the President of the Illinois Farm Bureau, Richard Gubert. We're going to review 2020 and also look ahead to the new year. The Trump administration has announced its intention for the U.S. Department of Agriculture to have primary oversight on gene-edited livestock. Why is this a big deal? We'll visit with the National Pork Producers Council, who's been leading as an advocate for USDA regulatory oversight over the past two years, and uh, talk a little bit with Andrew Bailey from the National Pork Producers Council about that decision. But first, let's start our tour of the Show Me State with the Executive Director of the Missouri Corn Growers Association, Gary Marshall. Good morning, Gary. It's a pleasure to have you on board this morning. Morning, Tom. Glad to be here. Well, Gary, as we look at 2020, let's start at the beginning of the year. There was quite a bit of optimism that we had for 2020 as we started, and a lot of that was because what we're seeing with the Chinese export market for U.S. corn. Absolutely. You know, we were uh, waiting and waiting and waiting on that Chinese market, it seems like, forever. And this year, uh, you know, a year ago, we were just wrapping up the uh, North American uh, uh, agreement with both Mexico and Canada and the United States. So we got that one wrapped up. And then we were really looking forward to see what would happen with China, particularly with corn and, uh, and some of the corn byproducts like ethanol and distillers grains. And luckily, we ended up with an excellent year. The Chinese became huge buyers of U.S. corn, and uh, the world was kind of flip-flop, Tom, now from where it was a year ago. Exports are a big deal for Missouri agriculture, aren't they? Absolutely. You know, we have the Missouri and the Mississippi River systems here. We have a wonderful rail system in the Kansas City area where we can go north into Canada. We can go south into Mexico. We can hit the cattle feed markets in the southwest. So some real opportunities to move products both uh, domestically and internationally from a state like Missouri. I know that Missouri corn has been a leader nationwide in the continued fight about making sure that atrazine is available to, to uh, producers. That has uh, been one of the things that's been on the forefront for you here in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this was the year that... Uh, that the EPA finally got around to re-registering um, atrazine and the other trizines. That's something we've been working on for almost 10 years to try to get that product re-registered. And it's because it's the, the most effective and it's the least cost product in the marketplace for controlling problem weeds. So it helps not only, you know, just take care of normal cornfields, but also some of the real problem weeds that we've got out here. It also helps with uh, minimum and no tillage. So it helps keep our soil where we want it, which is on the on the land, and, and we don't want it escaping anywhere into the water system. So it's a very key product. We did get it re-registered, but now not just atrazine, but also glyphosate. So the two most largely widely used herbicides in the world are both under review from an Endangered Species Act perspective from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services. So currently the EPA is working on their biological opinion, which they give this evaluation to the Fish and Wildlife Services, and then they'll decide what, if any, steps need to be taken with those products and in, in making sure that they're not affecting endangered species. So that's a big deal, Tom. Uh, it's got to go on until probably next September when there'll be a, a final, at least, uh, evaluation coming from the EPA moving over to the Fish and Wildlife Services. So, yeah, big deal for us because that's 30 bucks an acre to switch to a different product, and on a nationwide basis, that's about $2 billion a year. So with the corn growers, you know, it's not just about finding new markets, which is our primary focus, but it's also about making sure that we can keep products in the marketplace for our farmers to use. So it's about 
rules and regulations as well, and that's one we've been engaged with for a long time now. Let's uh, go ahead and, and look to uh, 2021 when it comes to corn markets. The domestic ethanol market uh, continues to be uh, one of the things that has worked in corn growers' favor, and uh, boy, we'd like to we'd like to see even more use of ethanol nationwide. Absolutely. We're beginning to see a lot more E15, that's 15% ethanol, up from 10%, which has been the standard product. So we're starting to see a lot of ethanol moved around the country, a lot of E85, so 85% ethanol moving in the state of California, for instance. So we're, we're starting to get those domestic markets continue to build up. And then the great news the last two or three years has been the export markets for ethanol. We're shipping it now all around the world. So that uh, that's a huge market for us here in the U.S., the ethanol market, along with the livestock market and then exports. Those are the three big markets for U.S. corn, and hopefully all three of them continue to stay, stay very strong into 2021. When we think about exports, is China um, going to continue to be the player that they have been here for the past uh, month, six weeks, uh, going into the new year, you think? Boy, that's the big question mark, isn't it? How the Biden administration is going to deal with the uh, phase two of the Chinese agreement that was negotiated by President Trump. So that's the big question mark right now. We anticipate that the Chinese will continue to do that, but we also anticipate that the uh, Biden administration, when they take over in just a few weeks, they're going to get a lot more involved and take a look at the at the Chinese market as well. So, you know, it's not just those folks, but the WTO, the World Trade Organization, a lot of things ongoing there. Trump didn't like them very much, uh, changed a lot of things around. Again, we're not sure that uh, trade is on the top of the agenda for the Biden administration, but it's absolutely key to U.S. corn markets. So we're going to keep a close watch on everything here in the next few months. Speaking of the Biden administration, what kind of regulations do you see in the crystal ball that, that may be coming as there's been quite a bit about a, about a climate team um, as well as an, as an environmental czar that's been appointed uh, by, uh, by President-elect Biden? Yeah, it sure sounds like climate is going to be a huge issue. Uh, carbon is going to be a huge issue. How you sequester carbon? Can uh, can we move those benefits of sequestration down to the farm level? That's going to be one of our focuses this next year is see if we can work with the Biden administration on that issue when it comes to climate. You know, farmers are a little more skeptical about that. Uh, we know things are changing. We're just not sure exactly, you know, how those changes are occurring, and then what our role is going to be. But without a doubt, we're going to play heavily into the carbon market, also into the climate uh, situation. So a lot to be uh, understood and a lot to be gained uh, in terms of knowledge here in the next uh, you know, couple of years as we size up the Biden administration and really look you know, exactly what they're going to look for from an agricultural perspective. So a lot to keep us busy, Tom. Gary, we appreciate the time today. Happy New Year to you. I know new transition coming to you in uh, in 2021. We wish you uh, the best of luck there with the change into a retirement for uh, for you, Gary. And well, coming up you. next on AOA, uh, we're going to uh, get in with uh, Missouri's Director of Agriculture, Chris Chen. And then we'll follow it up with a uh, visit with the Illinois Farm Bureau President. It's all coming up this morning on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Clay Bertram is with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He's Federation Division Vice Chair. Clay, uh, we look at, at 2020, and this is uh, a year that uh, we know will have an asterisk in it for a lot of uh, years to come in the history books. But, boy, the work has continued with uh, promoting beef. Yeah, Tom, the uh, the impact of the pandemic has been very uh, transformative in every corner of our economy. 
whether that be from beef to online shopping. The good news is that the consumers are choosing beef more often as they adapt more to cooking at home. Uh, You know, Tom, uh, we've seen the increase uh, of 67% to 72% uh, as it compares to 2019 uh, with positive perceptions of beef we've reached 70% for the first time. So it's really a dynamic change as we've seen consumers choosing beef more often. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And sitting in for Mike Adams with Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us here today. And our conversation continues today with Chris Chin, who is the Director of Agriculture for the State of Missouri. Chris, Merry Christmas. A few days passed, as well as Happy New Year coming up in just a few days. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here today. And we are really looking forward to 2021 being a lot better year than what we've had in 2020. That's for sure. Well, it is nice to know that we're drawing to a close on 2020. We know that nothing magically will will happen necessarily come the stroke of midnight on the 1st of, of January, but we do know that there is a, there's change within sight, and hopefully um, we'll see more of a, of a normal return once we get into 2021 a few weeks or a few months down the road. That's exactly right. You know, we are seeing a lot of promising vaccines getting to the state of Missouri. We've been able to vaccinate a lot of our health care workers, which is extremely important. And we are looking forward to more shipments of the vaccine arriving in Missouri. The demand has just been a lot higher than expected, and that's great. So the more people that we can get vaccinated, the quicker we all get to return to life as normal. Well, let's take a look at 2020. What has it been like for Missouri agriculture? And and, and let's really start at the beginning of the year when things were running under what we would consider to be more of of a normal year for agriculture. Yeah, you know. I look back to where we were in January and February of 2020, and things were extremely optimistic. We were starting to see a lot of our major trade deals get put back into place and provide that certainty that our agriculture community was needing. You know, China was looking very promising. The USMCA deal was getting finalized. We were starting to see an uptick in that. And 2020 looked to be one of the best years that we were going to be seeing in agriculture over the last four years. And then COVID hit, and it really turned the agriculture world upside down. When March came, we started getting phone calls from a lot of the large meat processors in the state of Missouri who were having a difficult time accessing PPE to protect their team members. So that really was the first Um, initiation that we got at the Department of Agriculture to how bad COVID was going to be for us. Luckily, um, we have a very close 
cabinet team here in the state government, and I was able to reach out to Director Rob Dixon at Department of Economic Development, and he helped me connect those large processors to supplies for manufacturers right here in the state of Missouri so that we could give them more options to try and protect their team members and their staff. A few weeks after that, we started to see a lot of our ethanol plants in the state of Missouri convert over and start making hand sanitizer. Um, So it was really, really a great time in agriculture, too, even though we were under a pandemic, just to see the way the ag community rallied around each other and their own communities to make sure we could protect um, everyone in, in those communities and in the state of Missouri. Um, you know, after that, we started to see a lot of the meat packers and other states started to close down, and that put a lot of pressure on our Missouri farmers. You know, cattlemen had cattle they couldn't move to market. Hog farmers had hogs they couldn't get to market. And it was really a scary time for the livestock industry in the state of Missouri. And at the same time, they started to see their prices go down even further. So we were really concerned about that. But we worked very hard with the processors that we do have here in the state of Missouri to make sure they had the tools they needed to protect their team members to make sure their doors were able to stay open. We also started to hear from the agriculture community who works on the plant side of things that, hey, we're worried. We're not sure that we're going to be able to get our supplies in here to be planting. So at the same time, we worked with Patrick McKenna, who's the director at the Department of Transportation, to make sure that we could get regulatory relief for the agriculture community. Um, We had some overweight truck restrictions that were lifted during that time period. We had hours of service waived as well to make sure that the truck drivers that were out there on the roads were going to be able to continue on and deliver their product in a time of need. We also had flexibility within our own Department of Agriculture. A lot of small businesses in our rural communities were not really excited to have an inspector come through their doors and put their team members at risk. So we worked with them to be flexible, to try and make appointments when we showed up, when they would have fewer people on site. And in some cases, we just had to postpone our inspections because their teams were so small, they just didn't have that opportunity to allow us in that place of business at that time while protecting their employees. So flexibility, I think, is the key word for 2020. Um, That's what we've had to be in state government is learn how to be more flexible than we have in the past. You mentioned trade and USMCA taking place, and we we know that there are some tremendous opportunities with, with trade to our neighbors both north and south. How big is trade for the state of Missouri? Is it as important as it is to other states across the country? You know, it really is. When you look at where Missouri lies in the country, we have two of the biggest assets all across the country, and that's the mighty Mississippi and the Missouri rivers. And so that really is key to our farmers and ranchers being able to get their products to market in a quicker fashion than some of our neighbors in other states because they don't have that great transportation system there. We like to refer to Missouri as the ag coast of America because we truly do have a lot of commerce that's agriculture related that goes up and down those two river systems. Let's uh, talk a little as well about something was on the radar screen for a few weeks and that was seed that was showing up in people's mailboxes that was uh, coming in from sources where they, they didn't know I know we had some of that seed that was delivered into the state of Missouri. Whatever became of that entire situation? So you are hitting a nail on the head. We did receive a lot of calls. We received over 1,200 complaints that came into the Department of Agriculture that we fielded. We collected samples. We collected data. We shared that on up with our federal partners at USDA. And what we found out is it was a, a marketing scheme, more or less, where people were sending orders to customers in the state of Missouri who had never placed those orders, but then they were going on to online marketing forums like Amazon and other places, creating fake accounts and getting, um, you know, five-star service to make sure that their product would show up quicker in any search results. So, you know, it was kind of a scary time because we had just come through some of the, the toughest times in this pandemic, and then all of a sudden our Missouri residents were seeing unsolicited seeds in their mailboxes, and they didn't know what to do with them and if it was safe. So it was kind of scary. And we had phone calls coming in faster than what we could even get answered here at the Department of Agriculture. So we quickly set up an online complaint form 
so that they could fill that out and we could get back to them and we could serve them quicker. Um, and in the end, it was just a marketing scheme. Um, but there were a few weeks there where a lot of Missourians and even us at the department, we were very concerned about those unsolicited packets getting delivered in the mail. And Missouri was one of those states that was, was heavily targeted in comparison to, to some others, too. We were. You know, we had um, a lot of people call us after the fact saying, hey, I didn't report this. Do I need to? So we were able to process those claims, but we knew there were a lot of people out there that were getting these packages that had not contacted us. And so we really felt like, you know, we needed to make sure USDA knew exactly what was happening in our state. Um, And then we realized pretty quickly that we weren't alone, um, but we sure were having a heavy presence of that unsolicited seed in mailboxes. Good to know that those safeguards are in place and also to know what is going to happen to trigger some some alertness about that worked as, as well as it could, too. I think that was the benefit of social media in this instance. You know, sometimes social media can not be great, but in this instance, it really worked in our favor because it helped us get the message out. It helped people know where to be calling, and it really provided a sense of security for some of those households that just really didn't know what to be doing with this unsolicited package they received. As we look ahead to the new year, 2021, literally just a a few days away, Missouri's Governor Mike Parsons was uh, re-elected to office. Uh, You remain there at the Department of Agriculture. What's your outlook for the new year then, Chris? Well, you know, we're going to continue to focus on trade because it is so important for our Missouri agriculture community. We're going to have new leadership at USDA. Uh, In the last four years, we've had a close working relationship with them, and we're really hopeful that that will continue into the next four years. And, you know, we're really just going to continue to listen to what the agriculture community, our farmers and ranchers and agribusinesses are telling us to make sure that we can help them be successful in 2021. A lot of these businesses, you know, while the agriculture um, community farmers and ranchers received some aid um, through the CFAP funding and the market facilitation program, a lot of those agribusinesses did not receive any help. And so we want to make sure that we're listening to their needs and we're responsive where we can be. You know, a lot of this lays out of the hands of the Missouri government, but we also want to make sure that we continue to share their message with those people at the federal level who can help them and hear their struggles and the challenges that they're going to be facing in the coming year. Chris, we appreciate the opportunity to connect. Happy New Year to you and the entire staff there at the Missouri Department of Agriculture. Well, Happy New Year to you too, Tom. I hope you have a great year. Thanks, Chris. Chris Chen is the director of the Missouri Department of Agriculture, our guest for this segment of AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're back with more in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Cattle markets mixed to start the day. This is the American Ag Network. I'm Brian Wunkins uh, with this uh, market update. At the Mercantile Exchange, uh, cattle futures are mixed. Uh, They're getting support from uh, the cash market strength and technical buying. 
Expectations are for cash markets uh, to be higher off of last week's 110 trade. Packers are likely short bought going into January and may be looking to stock up supplies. Hog markets moving uh, mostly uh, higher today. Now, there was strong product movement yesterday at 582 loads. That's also helping uh, to uh, support the markets. There's a battle going on with overhead resistance, and uh, the trade does need some fundamental support, though, to continue to move higher. December live cattle up five cents to 131.10. February up two cents to 115.80. January feeder cattle steady at 141. March up five cents to 142.70. February hogs up 25 cents to 66.75. April up 22 cents to 70.97. This is the American Ag Network. After starting the day mostly lower, corn markets now have begun to move mixed as uh, the forecast still shows uh, drawing expected in far southern Brazil, southern Paraguay, and also eastern Argentina over the next two weeks, and that's helping to support some of the contracts. Soybeans also moving uh, mostly higher as well as those less-than-needed rains across south Brazil and Argentina, and a dry forecast for those areas is sparking uh, some strength, at least in the nearby prices uh, today. Meanwhile, wheat markets, they're also moving Mostly higher today. That strike in Argentina helping to support markets. March corn up one and a quarter to four fifty seven and three quarters. New crop down a half to four twenty six and a quarter. January beans up three to twelve fifty eight and a quarter. New crop steady now at ten eighty four and three quarters. Chicago wheat March up three and three quarters to six eighteen. September up three and a half to six thirteen. I'm Brian Winnikins. This is the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Hi everyone, Tom Brand sitting in for Mike Adams today and again tomorrow. It's been a pleasure being on board with you here today and coming up on tomorrow's broadcast, we're going to talk about the McRib. I'm looking forward to that as I think the McRib is about the most perfect sandwich that there is on the face of the earth. Also, Steve Sinsky, the CEO of the American Soybean Association, gives us a wrap-up of 2020 and a look ahead to the new year. And Ethan Lane, the NCBA, that's the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Vice President of Government Affairs, will also be our guest. And then coming up on Thursday, Mike Adams is uh, back with you on the broadcast, and Orion Samuelson, who has been on WGN Radio for more than 60 years and has been a farm broadcaster for more than 64 years, is going to be Mike's guest on the program. I think you're going to enjoy listening in on that conversation with him. Well, our tour of uh, of agriculture across the Midwest uh, continues this morning as Richard Gubert, who is president of the Illinois Farm Bureau, is our guest during this segment of the program. Richard, we know that 2020 was not an easy year, especially for those folks in uh, in Illinois, as the governor had a stay-at-home order in place for uh, for quite some time. But at the same time, work continued for Illinois Farm Bureau. Absolutely, Tom, and it's a pleasure to be with you and your folks out in Radio Land, and uh, always a pleasure to visit with you. And your comment earlier about Orion being on later this week. You know what a what a success story and what a what a um, a communicator mm-hmm. of agriculture that he's been. Really, an honor to know him and be a part and be interviewed by him from time to time. But Tom, you're absolutely right. 2020 was a topsy turvy kind of a year and a real challenge. And you know, agriculture wasn't included as essential um, 
business, you might say, from the onset. But we, along with uh, Zippy Duval from the American Farm Bureau and other state presidents, worked with our state governors, uh, along with uh, USDA, to make sure that agriculture was essential, that we could carry on, put a crop in the ground, you might say, and get the products, uh, input products that we needed to do what we do on the farm, you know, plant a crop and uh, grow livestock. And we were able to do that. And we met challenges um, from time to time. Uh, it was a little hairy. We didn't know uh, how we were going to proceed, particularly with livestock, uh, getting them delivered to the harvesting facilities. For our nurserymen and specialty growers, um, you know, most of their business is done between, uh, what is it, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and Easter. Um, they were pretty much shut down there for a while, and they really didn't know if they were going to have to destroy what they were growing, the flowers, et cetera. Uh, but we were able to get that done. You know, the box, big box stores were able to deliver goods, uh, but the nurserymen and specialty growers didn't have that opportunity until we got that changed. I know watching your uh, your year-end address that you uh, shared with uh, with your Farm Bureau members that uh, the work continued for Farm Bureau um, and even with the with the affiliates uh, that you have with the uh, Country Financial Groomark and with Prairie Farms too. Absolutely, and you know we're very fortunate. I'll start with Prairie Farms. We did not a producer uh, that ships to Prairie Farms dumped a gallon of milk. They were able to deal with it and, and get it going and shift and adjust, you might say. And compliments to Ed Mullins, the CEO, and his staff. Uh, they had a many of sleepless nights and, and challenging days. You look at what Gromark did with everything that went on uh, there, trying to get the supplies to farmers and to the local cooperatives. Uh, the farmers could put a crop in the ground. Then you look at the Ninth Circuit Court, threw them a curveball, you know, later in the season. Uh, when they were not allowed to use the product, uh, uh, dicamba products, um, you know, Gromart folks, uh, you know, Jim Spradlin and, and his folks uh, were able to, to work with us and, and other state farm bill presidents to work with US EPA and our state um, IEPA and IDOA uh, to get for our folks that, that chose to use that, had that product on their farm, uh, we're able to use it. And then Country Financial, uh, as well other uh, auto uh, insurers, uh, rebated uh, $30 million back to their policyholders uh, for on their cars and vehicles. So my compliments to, to all of our affiliates. They did what they had to do. And many times they were working 24-7 uh, to try and, and meet the needs of their members or, or their patrons. How about your work with the American Farm Bureau Federation? I know that that's a solid partnership that uh, that you really appreciate having. Absolutely, you know, and I'm very fortunate. Uh, Zippy three years ago uh, invited me to be a part of his executive team, and we worked hand in hand with uh, there for a while, not daily calls, but every other day calls to what you know we out here in the in the country needed. Uh, the different state farm bureaus. We had weekly calls with Zippy and his staff to what is uh, Sonny Purdue and USC, uh, USDA was doing. Uh, what did we need? What needed to be accomplished? And can we get where we needed to be and, and be an advocate for our members out here in the countryside? No, it's been a great partnership. Continue to look at, at ways to improve that for our members all across this great country. Richard Gubert is president of Illinois Farm Bureau and our guest here today on AOA. Richard, uh, how about the work with, with the county Farm Bureau leaders? Just equally as important as uh, I know your work with AFBF. Absolutely. You know, and I'm, one of the comments I made uh, in my annual address is I'm just very, very proud of our staff in Bloomington and our county Farm Bureau uh, leaders, our, their presidents, their boards of directors, and the managers. Uh, we had weekly calls with them to know what the challenges they were facing, uh, how can we help, and what we have been doing uh, to make their job a little easier out in the countryside. How do we serve our members, you know, having to close the offices, and how can we deal with that? 
we worked with them hand in hand. There was a number of programs that U- USDA put together um, in the, you know, the CFAB, not the CFAB, but uh, the CARES Act uh, with the PPP loans and how our members could participate in that and, and be a part of it to kind of streamline the paperwork and what forms they had to use and who to work with and make sure that they were able to get the assistance when they needed. We looked at worked with them uh, on how to, you know, a lot of the local stores and restaurants uh, were meeting some challenges. Their members were being challenged. Uh, And, you know, the creativity of our county farm bureaus was just um, mind-boggling on the good side, you might say, that they bought uh, 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 gift certificates or vouchers from local restaurants and gave them the members they had produce and uh, meat and milk that they were getting into the food banks uh, for residents in their counties uh, that needed help that were out of work uh, because of COVID uh, to get them some assistance. And it was just a tremendous uh, outpouring of support for those in need. Country Financial, uh, the the local uh, country uh, representatives, um, were able to put dollars into the food banks uh, to supplement the needs of those residents within the county farm bureaus or the counties. That work that uh, that, that farmers and 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 your members are doing with with food banks, um, <laughs> I, I I can't stress enough how important that is that that takes place because there's a, there's always going to be a need to uh, to help feed those in our communities. Absolutely, and our heart goes out to those that are struggling, and this is a small way that we in, in agriculture can support our local food banks, either with cash donations or with um, <clears throat> vegetables or whatever we're growing on the farm, um, meat products, milk, or whatever, is to get those purchased uh, through, whether it's Prairie Farms Dairy or whatever, and, and get food and and, uh, groceries into those food banks is is desperately needed. And, you know, everyone sees the food lines, um, particularly here during the holidays, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, um, is just a a tremendous outpouring of support to, to those in the need in the communities. Richard, as you look ahead to 2021, what are some of the priorities that uh, Illinois Farm Bureau has for the new year? Well, you know, we thought we had our priorities set for as we turned the page in 2019 into 2020. And, you know, March, so that kind of got put on its head, you might say, uh, and thrown a bunch of curveballs. But as we look to 2021, uh, we want to continue to work with our, our state legislator Later, uh, we were very successful in, in, in the uh, vote no uh, campaign for, to oppose uh, the progressive tax or the fair tax. Uh, but we, we know that our state is in dire financial straits, and we want to work with our legislators, find a way uh, to get over this financial hump uh, here in the state of Illinois. So we continue to work with our legislators on, on both sides of the aisle. And the same thing goes on the federal level to work with our legislators in Washington, D.C. as we see a, a new administration come in, 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 into power here in, what, less than 20 or 30 days uh, with the Biden administration. Uh, we ha- do have a relationship with Secretary-to-be uh, uh, Vilsack. Uh, worked with him uh, for eight years under the Obama administration, and we look forward to doing that, uh, figuring out a way forward uh, that we can continue to grow our trade and trade relationships. Uh, that you know, we as farmers really want to get our dollars from the marketplace and not from the federal government. But very appreciative of what uh, we have gotten in support um, over this past uh, two years, for sure. Thank you, Richard. Richard Gubert, president of Illinois Farm Bureau, joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today, we're talking about protecting seed investments with Blake Mernan, who helps develop agronomy products at CHS. Blake, with many of our listeners finalizing their seed purchase decisions now, what do you recommend they should remember about protecting those investments come planting time? Seed is a very expensive farming input, and growers spend a lot of time planning and analyzing what hybrids or varieties they should use on their farm to deliver best performance. From a sports perspective, one could say selecting the type of seed for the farm is a key offensive strategy. However, it would be a shame to see the investment effort lost or degraded by disease pathogens or insects because a defensive scheme was not considered in the playbook. CHS agronomy can help growers defend their seed investments with the use of seed treatments. What impact can early season disease pressure have on longer term performance? The greatest yield potential for a seed is when it first enters the soil. Almost immediately, pathogens such as pythium can attack the seed within 90 minutes of the seed being planted. Think about that for a second. A grower that hasn't protected his seed investment may already be losing yield to disease before he's even done planting the field. Once yield potential is lost, it can't be recovered. Therefore, one of the best offensive strategies for yield is to defend that planting. So how can farmers make sure that the seed treatments they select are right for their areas? It starts with your CHS agronomy account manager or product development technical specialist working with a retailer or a seed dealer to identify what products are needed to be used to protect the seed from pathogens and pests. That's Blake Mernan, who helps develop agronomy products at CHS. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com.
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Tom Brand sitting in for Mike Adams on this Tuesday. Thanks for being a part of our broadcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on board tuning in. want to uh, say thanks as well to Andrew Bailey, who is Council of Science and Technology with the National Pork Producers Council, for joining us in this uh, fourth and final segment of our broadcast today. And Andrew, we know that USDA and the Food and Drug Administration have been locked in a regulatory tug-of-war, you could say, when it comes to the authority on gene editing and livestock, and the Trump administration has signaled that they have an intention to make that uh, that uh, um, oversight go to USDA. That's good news, isn't it? Definitely. You know, that's good news for you know uh, pork producers in this country and really all of animal uh, agriculture. You know, this is really a a first step um, in the process of modernizing our uh, regulatory. Uh, regime that governs uh, gene editing specifically, um, you know, modern new gene, uh, genetic technologies um, in livestock. And um, it, it's something we definitely welcome. Talk a little bit about the background as to what's been taking place here. I, I know that for folks that aren't informed, they'd say, well, I can understand how this could go to FDA. And then you get to thinking about what's been done for, for gene editing in uh, in plant species already with uh, the work that's that's been uh, really under the oversight of, of USDA. It really just makes sense that, uh, that when it comes to the livestock editing, that this sticks with USDA. You know, absolutely. Over the last few years, uh, newer and more precise technologies have, have, have come online and, and been discovered. And there's ever more um, more advanced uh, technologies coming along. Uh, you know, technologies like CRISPR, uh, Cas9, uh, I believe the discoverers of which won the, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry this year. Um, you know, th- these really open up a world of possibility for, for genetics um, and, and improvement in livestock. You know, unfortunately, uh, the, the paradigm that we had been operating under was a, a draft guidance out of the Food and Drug Administration that essentially classified the animal that had, had been edited, uh, gene edited, as a drug. You know, all the DNA in its body was a living animal drug, which really just opens up an entire uh, Pandora's box of issues um, that would make development of that uh, costly and very pricey. You know, uh, your average your average hog producer or you know other livestock producer isn't very familiar with how to get a new animal drug approved um, or how to how to handle a drug manufacturing facility, which a farm might be if it was breeding you know gene edited animals under under that paradigm. Uh, and so you know we're very we're very supportive of USDA's effort to essentially try and, and bring uh, gene editing and, and these sort of new genetic technologies on the livestock side in line with how they are um, on the crop side. And you know we've seen countless almost countless innovation um, in genetics on the crop side over the last several decades, um, and even more so recently uh, with these new technologies. And, and that, that a sort of unified approach um, that puts us on equal footing uh, with the plant side, as well as with what's going on in other countries, um, you know, Brazil and Canada and Argentina, China, just off the top of my head, um, you know, they're already forging ahead with with regulatory systems that promote um that sort of innovation, and that's something that we want here. Um, and, and this ANPR out of uh, the Department of Agriculture is, is really a, a great first step in that uh, to show that, you know, the process is robust, they have plenty of authority, uh, ample expertise on this, um, and the end result of a, an open public rulemaking process, you know, we, uh, we're very supportive of, of what that may look like in the end. Knowing that those other countries that you mentioned, uh, Brazil, China, Canada, um, others around the globe are, are also working on this, where is the United States right now in, in this process? Are we behind, or is this, uh, does this help catch us up? Well, unfortunately, we're already a little behind. Um, one thing that this uh, regulating animals as animal drugs paradigm has done is it's, it's created a lot of, um, I guess, uncertainty uh, not just among the academics and, and the research community, but among livestock producers. Um, and it, it, one unfortunate side effect of that is that it has driven 
uh, research dollars and research uh, technologies to other countries where, you know, researchers know that if they go there and go through a process and they know what that process is, and in the end, there may be commercialization if they can show that, you know, um, an edit is safe and effective and durable in species. And, and that just doesn't uh, exist here right now. Um, which is why I say this is a great first step. You know, we are behind these other countries, but um, I, I don't think insurmountably so. And, and if we can get through this process through a proposed rule and get a final rule um, in place over the next several years, you know, that positions us very well to, to um, uh, advance these technologies and potentially implement them um, in our livestock sector. We know that when it comes to any kind of, of rulemaking, there's always a, a comment period. In fact, in a 60-day comment period, um, NPPC will be providing some formal comments, I know, to make sure that USDA does have that primary oversight. Absolutely. Um, I've already uh, seen our, our drafts that, that, that our scientists internally have, have been working on, and I know there's going to be uh, – those are fairly robust, and I know we'll see a lot of uh, feedback, not just from us, uh, but from you know ac the academic community, the biotech community, um, other livestock sectors, um, and, and that's something that w we welcome. And, and I think that sort of open process is, is that's something we've been asking for for some time. Um, is you know what we all think of as the normal rulemaking process instead of just a series of continually evolving draft guidances that could you know change at any time. Should uh, producers uh, be weighing in during this this comment period as well? Um, you know, I, I think so. Uh, we always say that uh, the government would love to hear from our members the most, whether that be Congress or you know their direct regulators. Um, it's always good to speak to to people that make decisions um, that that can impact you. Um, so you know, for for those producers out there that are. Uh, have interest in this issue or are very knowledgeable and I know that there's pro producers some that know know a lot about it and some that have PhDs in, in it you know go ahead uh, either way that's great Andrew Bailey is the science and technology council at the National Pork Producers Council our guest in this final segment as we wrap up our Tuesday broadcast of AOA Adams on Agriculture back with you tomorrow looking forward to our visit have a great day everyone Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today.